0: i being at church together this morning. So good to be with you guys, online family. We love you. Thank you for joining us here today. We are in a series called "Hold Fast," and we're talking about holding fast to our faith in a world that sometimes feels like it's sinking, and uh, that certainly uh, can feel like the case for many of us. If you're brand new today, uh, man, you picked a great week to come to church. Maybe you saw there's some PG signs uh, around the uh, the room coming in and in our ACF Kids area. So just so you know, if you're a parent and you have a a smaller child, Uh, We're talking very openly today about human sexuality in a biblical view of sex, and so whether you're with us online, maybe you need to kind of change uh, rooms here real quick, or maybe if you're in the room today, I really encourage you to check your kids in, but that's the only warning I'm going to give you. So the rest is up to you as parents. If you want to answer the questions, more power to you. So uh, we are talking openly about this because in the book of 1 Corinthians, that's what Paul does, is Paul is dealing with our sexuality in an open and honest way. Because once again, this is a church that is a, a really progressive church. Uh, they're, they're in this society where um, they've given their lives to Jesus, and yet there's so much of their lives that are yet to be changed. And that's all of our journey, is that at some point in our lives, we give our lives to Jesus, and then we go on this journey uh, of saying, okay, when, when my opinion and God's opinion collides, who wins? And the journey of sanctification is that God wins. And we go for the rest of our lives of identifying these parts of our our, our, our minds and our souls and our, our, our outlooks on life and going, man, this part doesn't look like what Jesus thinks. And so I'm going to submit it to God, and in this church in Corinth 2,000 years ago uh, of about 60 people, you've got all of these young believers, they're excited about following Jesus, but they brought all of this history into the church. They brought all of their old p- patterns and behaviors and habits and, and hang-ups into the church, and it's starting to really hurt the church. It's starting to tear them apart, and it's, and it's messing with their witness to the world, because the world's looking at the church, and they're saying, what's so different about the Christians? What's so different about the church? And so, again, as we look at this in 2022, we go, uh, there's something for us to learn. This is a letter to us as much as it was a letter to them. And so, uh, Paul's going to challenge them today about their opinions, because they are actually arguing with Paul. There's a, there's a conversation going here, and when we get the letters of Paul, we only get half of the conversation. And so as you read the letters from Paul, like 1 Corinthians, you have to go, okay, what is being said? What's the conversation behind the letter? And you start to pick up on it as we read today, that there's, there's a tension here, because Paul's like, hey, this is what holiness look, looks like. This is what it looks like to follow God, and yet they're going, eh. I don't know, like, I can take it or leave it. Not sure it's that big of a deal. Hey, we're free in Jesus, Paul. Like, we are free to do what we want, Paul. And Paul's like, no, you don't know what freedom really is. And so if you want to open up your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to read a chunk of text here today, and uh, we're going to really dig into this. So here's what he says. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, and he will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. Amen. So uh, my story a little bit, uh, some of you know me a little better than others, but I grew up in a church family. We went to church all the time. My dad was in the Air Force, traveled around uh, the United States, and everywhere we would go, we'd find the local little Baptist church, and we'd plug in, and they would sing in the choir, and I'd, you know, find all the nooks and crannies in the church and play hide-and-seek, and And so I kind of grew up around church circles, but like many young people, I uh, didn't really kind of find my faith till I was older. In about high school, I began to, to make my faith my own and really wrestled with do I believe the things my parents have taught me to believe and that was a real tension in my heart And, and I was thinking back to you know when I was real little and does anybody here remember your first crush You remember your first crush? Anybody in the room? Okay, a few of you in the room. I remember my first crush. We were living in uh, Plattsburgh, New York, and uh, I went to this little private school. And uh, her name was Patricia, and it was Patricia with the pigtails. I'll just never forget. And uh, she was cute, and we hung out outside in uh, uh, where we did recess, and every day we'd get together and we would talk and have cute little conversations. And and I thought she was cute, and she thought I was cute, and it was just pure and simple, and and it was good, right? Like. It was very simple, young affection, and there was nothing uh, wrong with it in any way. It was just—it was just kind of this connection at, at a very young age. And then, you know, as I got older, and now I'm in like middle school. I remember the, the hormones going crazy, right? You remember those years, if you're older, or some of you are in middle school. You're like, "It's right now, dude!" Like, pray for me, and so pray for your middle schoolers in the room, right? Amen. Amen. So, so I, like I remember that moment in time, and I was just feeling the the tension and the hormones and all of that stuff, and and I still. I'll, i remember this moment for the rest of my life. I was at home watching TV one day, and I was watching Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Right, so uh, that was I was on my daily routine, and I was watching this episode. And in this particular episode, two of the different characters they opened up this magazine of naked women, and of course, they didn't show anything on TV. But I knew what it was from the context of the show. In this this scene, it just I didn't see anything, but it planted a seed in my mind with a question of Does that really exist? Like, like, who would do that? That's kind of weird. And why, why would, why would anybody, anybody like undress on a, in a magazine? Like, that seems really crazy. And I, it just kind of passed my mind. I moved on. Well, literally like a, like a week later, we're walking through the BX on base. And I was over in aisle three, kind of over by the checkout where the magazines are. And somebody had carelessly unwrapped a magazine and placed it down below. And this was an adult magazine. And I, I saw it and it grabbed my eye. And the temptation was too much. So I grabbed the magazine, I started paging through it, and I was like, I was overwhelmed with all of these feelings and emotions, and I set it down, and for the first time in my life, when it came to my sexuality, I felt shame. And and, and many of you know that moment. You can think back to the first moment that you felt shame in connection to your sexuality. In this moment in time, unfortunately, it didn't end there. In fact, the next couple of weeks, my parents were like, why does he always want to go grocery shopping? Like every single day. Our son, he's so kind, so servant-hearted. He takes his bike and goes to the BX, and he's, he's grocery shopping. Well, um, this actually, for me, began what I would call a, uh, an addiction to pornography. An addiction to this kind of material and this, this obsession in my own heart. And, and as a young teenager going, I don't know what this is. I feel shame. It feels wrong, but I want, I want something that's not good for me. And the, the tension continued and the shame continued. And I got into high school and uh, got plugged into a new church, new location. And um, a friend one time, he invited me out to this event. And I was like, what's it about? And he's like, oh, just come. It's gonna be great. Be music, and people are going to, uh, you know, just share some stuff for the front, and so I show up, and I'm really wrestling with my own faith at this time in high school, and I get to this event, and I realize that it's like a Christian purity rally, which some of you have been to Christian purity. Some of you who are young did, don't even know about this, but back when I was in high school, we would have, like, rallies for purity. It would be, like, it's like a party, there's, like, music playing in the background, people are up, up front, like, speaking and, and getting you all excited about Christian purity, and I was like, what did I get myself into? Like, like, what is this even about? And, and I remember at the end of this whole event, I'm kind of going, I don't know about all this stuff. I'm not sure what I think. But the guy kept talking about this idea that he was like, you know what? You are worth waiting for. And that person that you're going to be with for the rest of your life is worth waiting for. And something in my mind clicked. And I thought, I think that's true. I think, there, I think there's something about that. That idea, like, that, that there's something to wait for. That God... Has something better for me than just to kind of express my sexuality, however I feel like expressing it. And so, at the end of this, I was sitting next to a friend of mine. They handed out these little cards that said "Worth waiting for," and they said, "What we want you to do is want you to sign this and commit to staying sexually pure until you are married." And then we want your friend to sign one as well. And then we want you to kind of swap cards and and hold each other accountable to this as you move forward into high school. And so, I actually still I still have the card. This is this is the card that I signed. Um, this would have been like 1997, 98 or something like that, that I signed this card. And I'll tell you what, I signed this card and I had no idea what was coming for me. Like no idea the temptations that would come out of that. Like, like in, a, in a really simple way, I signed it just with faith, but I had no idea that life would go on and relationships would begin and challenges would come and that I would, I would fail and struggle in so many different ways after making this little commitment. But this was the beginning of me thinking, oh, man, God might have something better for me than what my friends are, are feeding me. God might have something better for me than what society is feeding me. And the reason we're talking about this in the church is because you are being fed a sexual ethic every single day of your life. Your children are being fed a sexual ethic every single day of their lives. And I'm just, as I'm looking at the landscape of the people around me, I'm just telling you, it's not leading to more life and freedom. And yet we would say we are the most sexually free uh, culture and sexually free generation that's ever exist. And yet people are not feeling free at all. You know, the idea of restricting your sexual impulses is is so weird. And so in our culture, it's just crazy to think of um, for a lot of people. And if you're in the room today and you're not a Christian, as I talk about this stuff, you're probably arguing with me in your mind. And uh, you're thinking, man, I'm not sure I believe that. And I just, I want you to know that, like, that's okay that you're there, but I want to present to you what I think is going to be a better way to freedom than maybe what, uh, what you have pursued so far. Because I think we have to be honest about our society. We have to go, like, what, what is this producing, right? If there is an ethic that exists in our world that we're following, what is it actually producing in our society? Is it actually giving us more freedom? Uh, Currently, I don't know if you know this, but one in six women in the room are victims of sexual assault. So this is what freedom looks like in our society. Uh, currently, child pornography is running rampant. This is something that's a major issue. It's easily accessible, not just by adults, but also uh, teenagers. And, and anybody with a cell phone can, can access this material uh, of, of underage people online. This is just, j- just, this is what freedom looks like for our society. Um, currently, in just the U.S. alone, there are about a million abortions a year. So you have to go, this is what sexual freedom looks like in our society today, and I think the thing is, we think sexual guardrails are going to steal our freedom, but you wouldn't say that on the highway, right? When you see high, high, like guardrails on the highway, when you're driving out past Palmer and you see these guardrails on the side of the highway, are you being like, hey, DOT just hates my freedom, right? <laughs> they just want to steal my freedom, right? Keeping me from driving off a cliff and killing myself. Like, why would they do that? No, of course not. We go, it's, it's there to protect you, But it's so strange that when we think about guardrails on our sexuality, we think, you're trying to steal my joy, you're trying to steal my freedom. And I I just want you to know, stealing your freedom is the last thing that God wants to do. We have a God that gives freedom. But freedom may not look like what you think it looks like. Uh, Paul says this, the body is not meant for sexual immorality. And this idea of sexual immorality in the Greek is the word uh, perneia which obviously is the word pornography, that's where that word comes from, porneia. But porneia or, or sexual immorality isn't only material that you can look at um, in person or online or wherever you might find sexual uh, explicit images. It, that, that's not the only thing. It's any kind of distortion of God's plan and design for sexuality. So sexual immorality is not just images you look at, but it's, it's any moment we step outside of God's perfect design for sexuality. We talked about this last week, that, that, that God designed sexuality a certain way. We read it in Genesis. This idea of one man and one woman in a lifelong marriage relationship, enjoying sex as a good gift from God. That is God's design. So again, if you're like, well, how about this? Answer, no. Well, how about this? No. Or like, you know, I just remember, uh, I just go back to my youth pastor days. The question was always, is oral sex sex? Answer, Yes, sex, it's got the word sex in it, so just don't, no, right, no, don't do it, right, let the parents say amen, right, so, again, so we we, we just, we look for loopholes, right, well, she agrees to to having an open relationship, is that, is that okay? No, 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 it's, again, you go back to the design and you go, if it's outside of God's design, by one degree, we've now wandered into what is sin, we've now passed the guardrails. we're heading off the cliff, whether we know it or not anything outside of God's design for sex is sin and it's and sin again is not just oh it's bad bad you sin is you are hurting yourself you need to understand that that sin is not just God trying to give you rules it's God trying to protect you and i've just seen this so many times in my life where i've said god i think my way is better and it's just simply not and i'll tell you in our society we've made it harder and harder to say stay sexually pure um, you know, in, in many generations before us, most of the time marriages were arranged and, and they happened much younger. In our day in society, people are waiting into their mid-30s and 40s to get married many times. Oh, I want to do my career thing and I want to pursue this and that. And then maybe one day I'll get married. Well, I'll tell you what, your body is on the pace that it is in and your hormones start kicking up. And, and, and really, in, in ancient times, people would be married at you know, 13, 14, 15 years old because at that time, that's when the body's like, okay, It's time, right? And we're going, no, just wait until later. And that's becoming really difficult for a lot of people. And I know so far I've used this word purity a few times. And for some of you in the room, that word grates at you. Um, In fact, in the church today, there's been a movement away from this word purity. In fact, um, many, many Christians today just hate the word purity, which I'll tell you, I'm going to tell you today, I feel is is very unfortunate. Um, And so it comes back to this idea of something called purity culture, um, which many of you grew up with, you know, the I kiss dating goodbye generation, um, and many other things where it was sort of like your sexuality is bad until you get married, then it's good. And that's, that's how, how many of us were presented this in the church when, when that's not the case at all. No, God has given you sexuality, and it is always good until it's made a, a negative thing. But God made you a certain way, and he made you good. And so I think we've run from the word purity because of maybe certain ways that it's been presented of, uh, to us, some of you were fed kind of this like bill of goods. Hey, if you wait to have sex until you're married, you're going to have a great sex life. And you're like, when do I get to cash that check in? Because it's, it's hard and it's difficult and the problems continue. So, so here's the deal. Like, I do believe God will bless your obedience, but blessing may not look the way that you think it looks. It may not get easier. Maybe it get difficult sometimes, but there will be blessing in trusting in God's guardrails. The, the word purity simply defined means this. Freedom from contamination. That's what it means. Purity is freedom from contamination. Can we agree that that's a good prayer for our sexuality? Uh, how about this? If you're a parent in the room, can we, can we, like, agree that that should be our prayer for our kids? Can we, can we pray that? Now, it's interesting, more amens for the kids. Can you be real for a second? Like, like I think we apply that because there's adults here who are like, yeah, purity went out the window 45 years ago. But I want you to know that purity can begin today, that freedom from from contamination can begin today, that 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 is a real thing, that you can choose to put the guardrails back on your sexuality today and live in freedom today. Your story does not have to define you. You can change the future of your life today. Now, before we get into too far in this text, we got to acknowledge what Paul talks about in verse 18, because he starts kind of digging at this idea of sexual immorality, and it seems like it's a big deal to Paul. It seems like he's saying, like, your sexual purity is a really, really big deal, like a bigger deal than a lot of things, because I think there's a misconception in the church, and it starts by saying this. We say, all sin is equal. All sin is equal, right? The question is, but is it? I want you to think for a moment, We say all sin is equal. The question is, but is it really equal? Verse 18 says, Flee from sexual immorality, for every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. So if you've been around the church for a while, you're starting to argue with Paul. Hey, hold on, Paul. Like, all sin's equal. It sounds like you're starting to make sexual sin into something bigger than other sin. It's all the same, Paul. Like, this person next to me, they, they lie once in a while, and I have affairs. Like, it, it's no different. It's no different. It's all equal. But is it? See, I think that's the thing, is, is, is we start off with this reality that we know that we're all guilty of sin. And that's where the gospel starts off, is the, the bad part of the story, which is that we need saving. And if you're here and you're new today and you're like, man, I have a story of sexual sin and and brokenness in my past, you are in the right place because we are all sexually broken people. Everyone in the room is sexually broken because we are sinful people. Apart from the grace of Jesus, there is nothing good inside of us. And in fact, James 2.10 says, for whoever keeps the whole law, in other words, if you're like a super religious person, you're trying to do good things, but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. In other words, we all stand guilty before God. We are all sinful people. We all need the grace of Jesus in equal ways. But then we go, well, then all sin is equal. 1 John 5, 16, it says, There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Okay, hold on. So there's different kinds of sin. There's certain types of sin that lead to, like, a death in my life, but then we're reading in 1 John that there's sin that doesn't lead to death. What does that mean? Here's what he's talking about. He is talking about the things that you do. There are certain things that we do that are easier to come back from than others. Does that make sense? There are certain, like, there are certain things like if I, let's say like I'm talking with my wife later on t- tonight and she's like, honey, how you doing? And I'm like, I'm, I'm good, but I'm not, I'm not good. And I lied to my wife. So that's, that's, that's sin, right? So then later, later on tonight, I go, hey, I'm sorry for that. I lied to you. I'm actually struggling with this and that. I can kind of come back from that fairly easily. But there's something about sexual sin, hear me on this, that's very difficult to come back from. Some of you opened the door to certain types of sexual behavior 30 years ago, 40 years ago, and you have never been able to close that door. Is that, so, so this is what's being said here, is that we are all guilty of sin. We all struggle with sin. We are all equally in need of grace, But there is a hardness of heart that is needed to participate in certain types of sexual sin that can lead to death because after we open that door, we become unwilling to humble ourselves and repent. It's hard, right? It's so difficult sometimes to come. Some of you have not been back to church in a while because you wandered into sexual behavior that you're not proud of. I see this happen oftentimes with friends of mine where I'm like, hey, where have you been? What's going on? Why don't you answer the text? Why don't you answer the call? Oh, it's because, man, I just, I've got some stuff that I'm wandering into. And when you dig a little deeper, there's almost always a sexual aspect to it. They're feeling so much shame that they avoid the family of God and they avoid God himself. It's hard to come back from things. Yes, we are all guilty equally before God, all equally uh, in need of the grace of Jesus. Absolutely. But sexual sin is different than other sin in that it is very difficult to come back from. So how does Paul confront the Corinthians' culture and their sexuality? He says this in verse 13. He says, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. Now I want you to notice in that text there's quotation marks around it. It's because Paul is quoting them. Okay? So he's literally saying, this is what you've told me when I've confronted your sexual behavior, is that you guys have responded with, but we just eat when we eat, Paul, right? In other words, like, this is what you do. When, when, when you leave church today and you're out, you know, running around town, at some point you're going to get hungry. And when you get hungry, what do you do? You eat, right? That's what you do. When you get tired tonight, you get a, what are you going to do? You're going to sleep. And what they're telling Paul is, like, when you want to have some sex, what do you do? You have some sex, right? So it's no different. It's eating, sleeping, and sex. Some of you are like, that's my life right now. And that's maybe why you need this sermon. So he's saying this is how your response is to me. You're saying it's just natural, Paul. It's just a a natural thing. But then Paul goes on and says, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. First thing I want you to write down is this. You can't always trust your natural hungers. You can't you can't always trust your natural. This is at a basic level. We all should know this, right? Like like when I pass cold stones on the way home, I'm going to want me some cold stones. My body's like, no, don't eat it, right? Like it's a natural hunger, but I don't always follow my natural hungers. And yet this is an argument that you will hear all the time in our society is that sex is just a natural thing. It's just, it, it's like, we're just one of the animals, right? This is kind of the narrative that, that's out there, right? We're just one of the This is the Corinthians way of saying to Paul, like, you and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals, right? Like, we're just, some of you get that. We're just nothing but mammals, so we're going to act like animals, and, and that's just a natural thing to do. Have sex with whoever, however you want to at any time. That's, that's the narrative. And yet, here's what you need to hear today. In the church, you need to know this, is that humans are not animals. We are different. Animals were not made in the image of God. We are. Okay? So animals do not bear the likeness of God. We bear the image, the imago Dei of God. We are different than the animals. You need to understand this is what gets us so screwed up. And even your friends that are like, hey, we're just animals. Just just act it out however, whenever. At the same time, they probably look down on certain people who act like sexual animals, don't they? right? So you can't be like, hey, we're just animals, have sex with whoever, however you want, and then go judge somebody who's acting like a sexual animal when you see them on the news. When you see things that are like, oh, that's just messed up, you can't call it messed up because they're just acting like animals. It's the only thing they can do. You see, this is a misunderstanding of what our bodies are. Our bodies are temples. He says, you were made for the Lord, and your Lord was, the Lord was made for you. And we know this, that when we follow Jesus, that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, and that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The question is, do you treat your body like a temple? In fact, uh, famous Food Network star Anthony Bourdain uh, famously said this, your body is not a temple, it's an amusement park. Enjoy the ride. Sadly enough, in 2018, Anthony Bourdain took his own life. This worldview is not leading to freedom. It's not leading to life. Your body is not an amusement park. Your body is a temple. God lives inside of you. We are not simply animals. We are not simply made uh, for pleasure, right? Pleasure is the product of God's blessing in our life. And he, he built pleasure, right? God gave us sex and sexual pleasure as a gift, but it is not why you exist. Your body It's a temple. And think about it. If we're just here to kind of enjoy the ride and to just kind of use our bodies for whatever, for pleasure, then why don't people who use their bodies for pleasure all the time end up being the most happy people in society? Wouldn't it make sense that if you're just made for physical pleasure, just be an animal, do whatever you want, shouldn't prostitutes be the happiest people in the world? Shouldn't drug users be the happiest people in the world? Shouldn't thrill seekers be the happiest people in the world? And yet they're not. Because you were made for so much more. We are not simply animals. We're made in the image of God, right? Animals are different. Animals don't feel shame for their sexual impulses, right? Some of you are dog owners. Does Fluffy ever come back after a long night out in the neighborhood and give you that shameful look for what they did with the poodle next door? No, like that doesn't happen because they don't have shame for what they do. It's just like, had a good night. I, you know, he looks happy. We don't know what he did. There's a couple puppies on the way. I don't know, but they're different. Animals are different than humans. But there is a current cultural sexual ethic that, that does exist, which is strange to me that we do have ethics when it comes to sexuality, and yet we talk about being animals. Like we talk about just do with whoever, however you want. And if I were to sum up the current sexual ethic of sexuality in our culture, it comes down to one simple word, and it's this word, consent. This is the only rule that's leading to the freedom that we exist in today, which isn't really freedom, is as long as they consent to it, it's okay. But again, I don't see that in the animal kingdom, right? Like, it's not about consent but this is the ethic of today. As long as people say it's okay, it's okay, and do it. I was reading this uh, publication in the, in the Washington Post recently, which um, is not a Christian publication, if you've ever read anything from the Washington Post. This isn't, this isn't a bunch of church ladies writing articles, okay? This is the exact opposite of that. But, but here's what you need to know is that um, they're starting to catch up with the truth of God's Word. And they don't know where it's coming from, but we do. Here's what they say in this article. You can look this up if you want later. They say, In our post-sexual revolution culture, there seems to be a wide agreement among young adults that sex is good and the more of it we have, the better. That assumption includes the idea that we don't need to be tied to a relationship or marriage, that our proclivities are personal and that they are not to be judged by others, not even by participants. In this landscape, there is only one rule. Get consent from your partner beforehand. But the outcome is a world in which young people are both liberated and miserable. When college scandals and the Me Too, movement, uh, a Me Too moment may have cemented a baseline rule for how to get into bed with someone without crossing legal lines, listen to this, that hasn't made the experience of dating and finding a partner simple or satisfying. Instead, the experience is often sad, unsettling, and even traumatic. So apparently our current sexual ethic isn't working. Hey, here's an idea. Marriage. Marriage. This this is what God gave us as like, this is where you are meant to experience your sexuality is in the covenant of marriage. So what you're going to start seeing is that there'll be articles and things flowing around. Hey, it turns out that married people are happier, sexually speaking, and more fulfilled. Crazy. How about you open up this 2,000-year-old book and you can read that any day. But that's something that exists—is this idea that God wants to give us freedom, and yet culturally we're still just man grasping at straws, trying to find it. Verse nineteen, he goes on. He says, "Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own." I want you to write this down. Our union with Christ turns our bodies from amusement parks into temples. So if you're not a Christian today, and you're here and you're watching online or with us, you're like, "Hey, no, it's just—it's an amusement park. I'm just having fun." That is your, that's your ethic. That's where you live. But our union with Christ, when we become one with Jesus and we say, I submit to you as Lord, what Paul is saying is you are no longer an amusement park. You are not just made for pleasure. You are to be in Christ with, with God living inside of you. Your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit. And then pleasure flows from honoring Him. And it will. It will. I'll tell you what, like, I think Christians should have the best sex lives of anybody Because God, through marriage, can actually give people so much joy and pleasure in the things that he has created. So there's a oneness with Christ that leads to this oneness where the Holy Spirit lives inside of our bodies. And it's real, I don't want to get overly graphic here, but even the idea of sex was given to humanity to be an image of the oneness of God with his church. So when he talks about this idea that the two become one flesh— you, two people become one. That's the idea of sex in the same way that we become one with God. God lives inside of us. So this is the image God gave. It's so important to him that we honor this sexual part of our lives because he's like, this is literally an image of my closeness with humanity. See, God is preaching theology through all of creation. In all things, in every single way, sex is so much more than a physical act. It's actually saying something to the people around. You have never only had a physical sexual act. It is always a spiritual moment. And you, for the rest of your life, will never only have a physical act of sex with anyone. And you might go, no, I can kind of turn it off. And it's just, it's just physical. Once again, Brian, we're just animals. But God created it as an extremely powerful connection at a spiritual level. And here's how I know this. So I talk a lot with many of you who have gone through some really difficult things in life. Some of you have sexual trauma that you've walked through. Some of you have physical trauma that you've walked through. And some of you have both. And when I've talked to people who have both PTSD from physical trauma and sexual trauma, most of them would say, I would trade my sexual trauma for physical trauma any day. Because sexual trauma, it it affects you in in a way that's just deeper it's just deeper. And I think we know this, right? We know this intuitively that it's more than just a physical act, right? Right? I mean, you know this. If if your spouse is like, hey, I I had an affair last Tuesday. What? But then they say, well, it was just physical. Are you like, awesome? That's great. Do it again. No, because it's not. They didn't just give a high five to somebody, right? Like, this is not just a physical act. We know this intuitively, and yet, again, even if you're not a Christian and you're watching this or listening, you know, like, no, I do have some lines and boundaries that I draw. And the question is, what right do you have to draw any boundaries? If you don't believe that there is one true sexual ethic, and that comes from God himself. If, there, if there's no true sexual ethic that comes from God, then we have no right to draw any boundaries on our sexuality. It, it is powerful. Sex is so powerful. Um, I started watching in the middle of COVID this uh, this special on HBO about Chernobyl. And it was like this kind of whole series about Chernobyl. And if you know anything about the Chernobyl power plant, you can look it up and read about it. But there was this nuclear meltdown back in 1986. And all of a sudden, the, the nuclear core cracked, overheated. And then this radiation started to make its way beyond the walls of the building. People were dying. and I mean, it was just this crazy, crazy deal. And at this point, in uh nuclear power history people were debating a lot about nuclear power is it good is it bad we don't know there's a huge debate about it because they were they were like hey it can be a really good thing i mean look at the power that's being created from uh from from this nuclear source and yet then when it was released it became a bad thing right and i want you to know sexuality is the same thing when it is in its proper place it's such a good thing Again, I want you to hear this. God designed sex and he gave it to you as a good thing. This is why purity culture didn't work. This is why so many of you feel shame about it or even talking about it in church is because you've been just beaten into your head that it's a bad thing. It is not a bad thing. It is a good thing within the boundaries of what God gave us. And when it leaks out beyond that, people get destroyed. And as a pastor, I I, I hear about it all the time hear stories, many of you are getting counseling, you're working through really difficult things, and it just needs to have those boundaries. And again, they are for our betterment. Verse 20 goes on, it says, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Last thing is this, our bodies are made for worship. Our bodies are made for worship. You are not just an amusement park, You are made to honor and worship God. You are built in the image of God. And what God gave us as a good gift was destroyed when sin entered the world. And we see a a rehashing and replaying of that moment that sin entered the world. Every time we wander into sexual immorality, he says, you were bought with a price. You've been paid for. Here's what you need to know. You are not your own if you are in Christ Jesus. In other words, you don't get to look at your body and go, I do what I want. No, you don't. You were bought with a price. You were paid for in full on the cross. And here's, I think, what gets us so messed up is that we actually seek value through sexuality. Some of you feel so unvaluable and so worthless that you go from partner to partner to partner or, or page to page to page online trying to feel some sense of worth. And Jesus says, You were bought with a price. And it's not just any price, that price was God Himself. Just think about that. So you have been evaluated, and the value of you is infinite. And it's not because of anything you did do or anything you will do. It's because of what Christ has already done. You've been bought with a price, which means you are not your own. Men in the room, hear this. She is God's daughter before she is your girlfriend. Women in the room, hear this. He is God's son before he is your boyfriend or husband or wife. If someone is a believer, we are first God's Children, We have been bought with a price. In other words, we are not our own and they are not your own. Amen? Like, you need to hear that today. And it's crazy that we think we have certain boundaries. And I just want you to be honest in the room here today. If you're online, you might not have caught this. But, like, we have a standard for our kids that we don't set for ourselves. Can I just call that out? That we want something better for our kids than what we want for ourselves. Every dad in the room, when I talk about purity, they're like, Amen? Preach it, Pastor. Where's my daughter at? Is she listening here? But then you go home and you look at porn. That's someone else's daughter. So we have to go like, God paid a price, not just for those in the church, but it says, the Bible says he died for the sins of the world. God declared the value of every human being on earth as infinite the moment he died on the cross. And so we are to treat other human beings with that same value. The devil will tell you, you are already worthless, so do what you want with your body. But Jesus says you are priceless, and I died to show you that. I shared about this uh, rally I went to years ago, uh, and it it was crazy. I was just like, I'm not sure what I think about this, and I signed this little card, but like I said, I didn't know it was coming for me. And the temptations ensued and the struggles ensued. And trust me, I made a lot of mistakes. Uh, But on May 17th of 2003, I was able to hand my bride this card and say, I have been waiting a long time for you. And I share that with you today because there are people in the room who would say that's not possible. And again, we weren't perfect. I promise you. But we did save sex for marriage. And I believe God has blessed that. And if you're here today and you're like, Brian, that's not my story, then your story is the blood of Jesus. Your story is the grace of God to move forward in purity, without contamination, placing the guardrails back on your life and honoring him with your body that is not your own, but is the temple of God living inside of you. So God is so good, and he wants to meet you right where you're at. I want you to pull out your card if you would. We have some action steps to take here today. If you want to just tear this off, it's probably a really good week to participate in this, I want to just tell you, because I think we all have a struggle in one way or another in our lives. And I just want you to drop this in one of the baskets on the way out, and we want to be praying for you. Please, like don't fight alone in this. But maybe today you just need to say, I want to begin a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're realizing that you are living for a sense of worth, And you're seeking it everywhere else but God. And maybe today you say, I'm going to receive it from God. So if that's you, I want you to check that box. Maybe you want to make a commitment to sexual purity today. Maybe you're here and you're like, I have made so many mistakes. Hear me, God's grace is sufficient to move forward. It's not cheesy to say, I will continue in purity today. I will live with a pure heart from this day forward. That's not cheesy. That's honoring God. That's a good thing to do. And maybe you're here saying, I want to reject shame for my past decisions. Brian, I came in here feeling so shameful. I hope that you leave here leaving, uh, just feeling covered in the grace of God, covered in his love. And maybe today you're like, I-, I feel shame. Trust me, God does not want you to feel shame. We sang it early, earlier here today. Leave your shame at the door. It's not welcome anymore, right? And maybe you're here today saying, I want to begin to honor my value as an image bearer of God. I, I, I just never realized that I had so much value and I've been living like an animal and I need to live like an image bearer of God today. And whatever that, just check those boxes. Give us a little information. We want to text you that we're praying for you this week and that's, that's all we want to do. Would you stand up? I want to pray for us as we continue on in worship. Jesus, uh, we want to start off by acknowledging that we need so much help in this area. And God, uh, many people in this room are caught up in some kind of sexual behavior that they wish they could stop but don't know how. There are people in the room here today who aren't sure what they believe when it comes to human sexuality. And maybe they, they know what's right, but they're still arguing with you. Father, I pray you would convict us all that you are a good father that loves his children. And that by questioning your desires for us, God, we are questioning your goodness. And we don't want to do that. God, I pray for the person in the room today that's not even sure that they believe in you. God, that you'd show up in their heart right now in a supernatural way. They'd feel your presence in this room. God, thank you for the church that we can struggle together, that we don't have to act like we're perfect but we can come together under the banner of Jesus and we can worship the one who is. Thank you, God, that you are the only perfect one in the room here today. We pray it all in Jesus' name.